Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. My hands work over green leaves on the kitchen table and music banks out from my memory, making leaves travel. I remember crossing the date line and disappearing into an ocean circling the bottom of my earth. I remember walking into a shelter made of wood, kind welcome on a sleeting southern summer day. I remember how the light smoothing the walls was grey with cold, how raindrops clung to windows before tearing down. Learning to feel cold was to understand new seasons. Here. There are 50 words for rain. I became an infant discovering my face, hands, feet. I could not use words to say who I was. I remember how my first experience of letters prepared me to compile a recipe book for salads. New Earth We land. It is January. Six squeeze into a car made for five. Only minutes on the new earth. I sense our passage here is not like my visits to my grandparents. At almost 500 miles from where we lived and about a day's bus ride, it felt as long as our trip above water and through acres of cloud. Back then, the return trip after four weeks with extended family was a disappointment. Now, I want to ask about a return ticket from here. All is white and green. We are silent, watching windshield wipers push sleet gently aside. Sleet is how I first see cold. Miles of green grass, carefully draped sheets of pasture for the many white animals. Ah, yes, sheep. They are focused on grass despite rain and cold wind. It's true. I've already seen more sheep than people. I want to ask why so many sheep? Where are the rice fields? What will they do with all these sheep? I remain silent in case I vomit the pain that is slowly creeping under my skin. In just a few minutes, I'd learn the meaning of two words that I would come to know well at the bottom of the world. Green, sleet. We were like... Stunned mullets and deer in headlights. I can say so now, a reflection of many summers spent in this land. Back then, a slow fuse ignited four chambers in my chest, and I started my descent into confusion and lessons on grief and longing. Our house. We arrive on Sunday at our new address, 
75 Union Street, Dunedin, New Zealand, a two-story house divided into two apartments for university staff. Our apartment on the first floor is reached by a large winding staircase. Its banister gleaming in the light from a lead light window, almost the height of the building. The last time I saw such a window was in the chapel of the Catholic convent school that I just left behind. I used to go to chapel once a week out of curiosity. It was nothing like going to a temple. Temple visits were mostly in the evening. All six of us, my mother's sari chosen for the season, cotton in summer and silk when cooler, always worn with care. My father talking softly as the four of us children buzzed about like disturbed bees. The path to the temple's entrance was lined with stalls carrying mountains of fresh flowers. Jasmine, roses, chrysanthemums, sacred basil, powdered turmeric, sandalwood, camphor, and more. I smelled color, heard colors sing. At the inner sanctum, the deity bedecked in bright silk. Flowers and gemstones shone with a glint that only oil lamps can make. Sanskrit chants rang around people moving in pious adoration. All of us enclosed in intricate stone architecture that was hundreds of years old, touched by many hands. Mine was one of them. I climb up the carpeted stairs past the lead light window to our apartment, following my parents and brothers. My family's faces are soft with trepidation. The apartment door at the top of the stairs opens directly to a generous landing, surrounded by dark wood panels reflecting a cold light. When we finally speak, our language feels foreign, yet comforting. From the landing we can see three bedrooms, a kitchen, bathroom, and a large sitting room, dining room around us. A sun porch encased by glass windows faces Union Street. My three brothers share the largest bedroom and mine is a smaller one next to theirs. I am quiet. I should be excited, but I am not in my skin. I want time to fast backward. First night in our new bedrooms. Cold, quiet, really quiet, dark, and there is no talk between us. Silence reflects absence of the familiar. The air I breathe is fresh with cold, and no words for this. I am not in my skin. Through my brother's bedroom window, a red, blue, and green neon sign winks. Griffins. Round wine, vanilla wine, super wine. This is the first neon sign I've seen since I left India. Streets back home were covered with neon signs. I understood what they were selling. Saris, clothes, food, biscuits, toothpaste. I don't understand why so much prominence is given to alcohol here. My acquaintance with alcohol was almost non-existent. In a Hindu household, alcohol is an anathema. I remember how very occasionally my grandfather, my father and my uncle 
would drink an amber-colored liquid with ice in small crystal tumblers. The ice would make a clink-clink sound when they picked it up to drink or set it down on the table. I later learned that this indulgence was a custom left over from when my grandfather was a diplomat in Switzerland during the late 1940s and early 1950s. I distinctly remember the peculiar, warm, pungent smell that I now recognize as the aroma of a good single malt. I remember, too, how my grandmother would hastily make pakoras to accompany the amber liquid, a bonus for us grandchildren. For now, I make a note to myself to ask in the morning what the sign is advertising and whether it is okay for us to see it. I notice how the night sky in this land is devoid of stars. Back home, as soon as daylight disappeared, stars formed a close blanket above my head and their twinkling was inescapable. The dark sky here has the amber glow of the city street lamps. As I wander about the stars here, I let the sign's rhythm echo in my head, a change from counting sheep, another use for sheep, my father told me. Weekend. We are in the university's epicenter, but there are no people, no traffic. I have been sitting in our glassed porch watching yellow pedestrian lights blinking incessantly. Pedestrian crossings with signs warning drivers to stop for people, my father says. Why are they here when there is no one around? The heavy silence rings in my ears, and I miss sun rays beating into this house. This house is nothing like the house we left behind, where the only cold place was our refrigerator. Oddly, there is no refrigerator in our new house, but there is a small grilled box cantilevered out from the kitchen wall, holding fresh milk and butter and cheese. Is this the new world's answer to a refrigerator, I wonder? In a cold house, the one-two bar heaters are unable to cope with heating large rooms. We spend quite a lot of our time huddled in front of them. More sleet and fog, which means we can't go out to play. Back home, we would be out roaming our neighborhood among cashew nut groves, coconut trees, purple and white flowers, and red dirt roads laid on soft river silt, which was silk between toes. We roamed like rogue clouds until the sun dropped to visit another world. How free we were back on that university campus. Under the grey sky, is it monsoon time, I wonder? What a relief when the monsoon came at home, as clouds unburdened themselves of the moisture they had carried over months of travel across India. That rain was hard and straight, here... The rain is soft and waved by wind. It feels like gauze. Even as I form these thoughts, light pans in. Rain gives way to sunshine. Instantly the room is brighter. Across the street a grassy field emerges. It has narrow tracks like the ones villagers made beside busy roads back home. The tracks I see now crisscross each other and most lead towards a black stone building sporting a clock tower, 
which has been chiming every 15 minutes. These chimes sound different from the cathedral bells that used to ring from behind our house in Pondicherry, reminding me I'm not at home. Also, this is the first stone building I have seen after so many wooden houses that look like they have been made from giant matchsticks. Today I learned about fog, natural refrigeration, and that I am in a land of quiet. Mendel's Law I wake up to find my family looking intently, silently out of our glass porch windows. When I join them, I see hundreds of people, mostly young, some sporting very long hair of different shades of yellow, red and brown. Some of the women wear dresses, some trousers, and it is difficult to make out boys from girls, apart from those in dresses. But they all look the same. My parents have travelled internationally, but for me, the assortment of white faces with different coloured heads is baffling, and even more baffling as not all the women have white legs. Some have black, others green, or blue, or red, or purple. There doesn't seem to be a pattern linking hair colour and leg colour. I ask whether Mendel's dominant and recessive gene biology that applies to eye colour also applies to hair colour and coloured legs. My mother tells me that fads and fashion influence leg colour. These women are wearing tights, she says. Shopping my mother takes me to Arthur Barnett on George Street to kit me out in my school uniform. Cold is the new norm, but the sun is out. My mother in her sari embodies exoticism. At the counter, we catch the assistant's eye. My mother asks for help. The assistant shows no sign of having heard the query. She looks from my mother to me and then back again, for what seems like many minutes, and says, I have never seen anyone in a sari before. So beautiful. I am relieved. I was expecting to be treated as we were at our mid-journey stop in Sydney, Australia. That day, I learned about assumptions and surprises. I understood ignorance and insolence are a condition newcomers have to bear. Our first contact with New Zealanders was as sweet as the aeroplane lolly at the end of our long flight. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.